Well, good morning, fellowship. Oh, good, man. Y'all are awake. Good. It is so good to stand up here this morning. It's, it's an honor to be back in this place that is such an important part of our story, our life, uh, the things God did here. Uh, I've said a number of times our lives today are marked by our years uh, here. We were on, I was on staff here for 11 years and what God did in my life, uh, in Laura's life, in our marriage together, in our children, much of who we are today has been formed by our days here. So I'm always grateful when I think of Fellowship Bible Church. Uh, it was exactly 20 years ago this week uh, that Laura and I visited Fellowship Bible Church that was then about 350 people meeting at Franklin High School. We came down for a kind of a candidating weekend where we were trying to see is this where God was leading us or not. And in just a really, really powerful moment, honestly, during the midst of the worship, while a worship team was singing a, an old song, Jesus, I am resting, resting. It was one of those moments where God kind of took the proverbial two by four to my head and said, this is your place. Y'all, it was so clear. It was such a, a confident direction and leadership from God. And we had no idea what we were into when we said, yes, we're going to come here. What a ride it was. And then fast forward 11 years, which was nine years ago this past May, and in the very same kind of moment of clarity, another two by four, if you please, God made it so obvious that it was time to leave this place that we loved and I'd served. And we were so grateful for what God was doing there. And once again, I would say we had no idea what was in store for us. And God has been so gracious and so good. The thing that I know that was true in our story as a family in these last nine years is the very same thing that I know is true in your story in the last nine years. Whether you were here at Fellowship then or, or whether you're new since those days, as many of you are, there's one thing that's been consistent for all of us. And I can summarize it in one word, change. Change. It's been times of change. It's been times of transition. I've thought about that for our family. You know, since 2010, we've had a lot of change in our family. At the time, our oldest son had just graduated, I had just finished uh, his first year of college, and now all of our kids are almost through college. We've had high school, uh, high school graduations, college graduations. Um, we've had the wedding of two of our four children and brought two awesome girls to our family. Uh, our career paths, both mine and some of our kids, they've changed, they've adjusted as we've tried to figure out what's next, change, transition. Laura and I both have lost a parent in these last nine years, my dad and Laura's mom, who we lost just about a year ago right now. And in the middle of all this other change and transition, probably the most enjoyable transition for us has been the addition of, of two little grandbabies. And y'all, we have a third grandbaby that is due like any second. And, and if you see me jump up from here and run to the first row and grab somebody, my daughter-in-law is here, so we're out of here, bye. But you know, we, we are so excited. By the way, just a side note for those of you thinking about kids one day, skip parenting and go straight to grandparenting. <laughs> Phenomenal. I mean, like the best by far. It really has been. There's been a lot of change, a lot of transition in our life. Uh, I know it's true for you as well. Living here in the area, having many friends who are here and staying in touch with this church and talking with leaders over the last, few, last nine years or so, I, I know there's been a lot of change. New campuses that have been launched, you know, up, up in Nashville, a campus down in uh, Franklin, close to our house, has been so fun to watch those grow and influence people. A marriage ministry that's growing and thriving and impacting, at times even saving marriages to be a small, small part of that with Larry at a couple of events. I'm just so encouraged to see what's happening there. Leadership transitions that have had really good moments and really hard moments you've walked through. And then this reclarification of your values and your vision and, and capturing this word that's one of my favorite words, wholeheartedness. They, you're intentional about saying, we wanna be wholehearted followers of Jesus. There's been a lot of change and a lot of transition for you as a church as well. 
for our family and for this church family the past decade has had these changes that some have been so fun and exciting and some have been stretching and challenging. There's been changes that have had moments of overwhelming gladness and seasons of profound sorrow. There have been changes that have, had, that have created deeper faith and if we're honest, changes that have caused our faith to feel shaken at times. And yet in the midst of all the change, in the midst of all the transition, in the midst of all the loss at times, one thing has not changed. May I say it differently? One person has not changed. The one who is unchanging, who is faithful, who is gracious, who is merciful, the one who is redeeming, the one whose good hand has been upon us in every step we've taken to accomplish our purposes. Y'all, we gather this morning in the presence of that one, that one who oversees us, who leads us, who guides us. And this morning, we're gonna look at a passage in in the Psalms about him that I think is so critical to helping us understand how then do we live this life that is marked by change, that is marked by transition. If you have your Bibles and you can follow along, we're gonna walk through Psalm chapter 90 this morning. Psalm chapter 90 is, is my, one of my favorite Psalms, maybe my favorite Psalm in the, in the book of Psalms. It's the oldest Psalm ever written. You know, a couple weeks ago when Rob kicked the series off, he preached the first Psalm, Psalm 1, but really the first Psalm is Psalm 90, the first one written. It was written by Moses. And if you remember the story of Moses, Moses has this this season in his life when through a burning bush, God says, hey, you've run away from Egypt where the Israelites were in slavery for 400 years. Now it's time for you to go back and to stand before the Pharaoh and say, hey, those iconic words, let my people go. And y'all, if you remember the story, it doesn't happen immediately. I mean, it's kind of a push-pull thing. The Pharaoh changes his mind over and over again. And God brings these, these plagues up on, on, on Egypt till finally the children of Israel are released and they are now free to go under Moses' leadership to this promised land. The land that was promised to Abraham, they're gonna go to this place they call the land of milk and honey, just this luscious, wonderful new home they're headed to. Y'all, it should have been a 30-day pilgrimage for them. That's how long it should have taken to get there. You remember your Old Testament story? It's a little longer than that, isn't it? 40 years of wandering in the wilderness before they finally get to the promised land. All sorts of stories that happened during those 40 years, but we call it the wilderness wanderings because it truly is a season of being lost, being confused, not knowing where they are. It's against that backdrop that we believe Moses wrote Psalm 90, probably toward the end of it. Y'all, can you imagine 40 years of being lost and just wandering, living very temporary, living in little tents, moving by day, moving by night, trying to find out where home is all the time. It's in the midst of that, that Moses, in my my imagination, sits down one night and says, man, these people, they grumble, they complain, that's all they're doing. I, I need to write a new song for us to sing. That's what Rob told us, the Psalms are, are their, their prayers, their songs also. So let's, let's walk through this passage together this morning and, and let's just see a, a couple of things that I think are profoundly important for all of us to ponder in every moment of our life. Psalm chapter 90, verses one and following, the first four verses say this. Lord, you've been our dwelling place in all generations. Before the mountains were brought forth or ever you had formed the earth and the world, from everlasting to everlasting, you are God. You return man to dust and you say, return, O children of man. For a thousand years in your sight are but as yesterday when it is past, or it's like a watch in the night. Again, remember the context. Remember this picture. These Israelites, about two million of them, wandering in the wilderness, this huge parade of men, women, children, and they are truly living temporary lives. Think of them walking off their backpacks on every day, setting up their tents as they were. They had taken the tabernacle and they had built this temporary tabernacle where they would travel and literally set it all up. Let's go worship. Let's go to bed. Let's get up in the morning. Let's keep moving. We got to find the promised land. 
They knew something about temporary living. And so for Moses to pick up his pen, if you please, and to write these words, Lord, you have been our dwelling place. And one of the modern translations or paraphrases says it this way, Lord, you are our home. Lord, you are our home. In the midst of this place where we're living so temporary, God, you are our dwelling place. You're our real home in the midst of change, in the midst of transition, in the midst of being lost and wandering in the wilderness. God, thank you that you are our dwelling place. Not tense, not manna, not grumbling, not complaining, not being lost, dazed, and confused, but you, oh God, you are our home. Matter of fact, it's been a whole lot longer than 40 years, Moses wants to remind him. Not just our home while we're lost in the wilderness, but you've been our home from everlasting to everlasting. Before time ever was and after time is over, whatever in the world that even means, Moses is saying, God, you're there. You're eternal. You're all that we need. I love that Moses says, for a thousand years, they're just like one day in your sight. He's wanting us to see just how expansive, how massive our God really is. I did the math just out of curiosity. I thought, okay, if a thousand years equals one day for God, what would a 75-year lifespan mean? You know, if I made it 75 years. In God's economy, that's like 13 minutes. I mean, you think about it, you know, 75 years feels like a lot of years of living. But in the economy, God, it goes just like that. It goes so quickly. I summarize these first four voices, these first four, four verses with a simple phrase from Isaac Watts. You may remember his old hymn, Oh God, our help in ages past, our, our hope for years to come, our shelter from the stormy past and our eternal home. If I were to summarize those first four verses, I would use those phrases, God is our eternal home. Y'all, that, that's such a simple kindergarten kind of truth this morning. And yet it's the truth that if we don't keep it in front of us, if we don't own it, if we don't live into it, if we're not mindful of it, then we begin believing this temporary home, these little tents that we're living in, that they are really what matter in life. Y'all, I remember so clearly when we moved into this building. It was in 2003. And I don't know if you were here or not, but if not, it it was just this crazy morning. And then we had a party later that day. We had three people who, who repelled out of the rafters. You know, we had, we had confetti cannons. I mean, it was a little weird for church and it was awesome because we were just celebrating, man. This was our home. We were so excited. We were so proud of this campus. It had been built in, in a quick amount of time for what we thought it would be. And we had this learning center with these themed rooms that we just, we were just so excited about all of us. And we just thought, man, this is, this is what God has provided for us. And there's nothing wrong with that. But you know, this is not our home. It's a great place. It's not our home. Or when we moved here in 99, you know, we, were, we moved down here in August and we were supposed to move in our house in the middle of September. So we moved in toward the 1st of December, good timing in construction world. And we just kind of got there and we were like, our home, this is it, yay. Y'all, but it's, it's not our real home. Like cognitively, when I say that, we all know that there's more to life than just these things. And yet if we're honest, there are times that what we focus on is the dwelling place that has been built with hands. Instead of going, oh yeah, God, you are our dwelling place in our lives that are filled with change and transition, in our lives that are filled with, uh, with, with death that it's expected for all of us, in our life that can be really hard at times, God is our eternal home. Moses then says, I, I wanna tell you Israelites that, that the way though God sees time and, and the way God is big and vast and huge and magnificent, hey, can I remind you guys, your life's a little different than that. And that's where he picks up in verse five. Psalm 90, verse five, he says, for you, O God, sweep them, referring to mankind. You sweep mankind away as with a flood. They are like a dream, like grass that is renewed in the morning. 
In the morning it flourishes and it's renewed and in the evening it fades and withers. For we are brought to an end by your anger, by your wrath, we are dismayed. You have set our iniquities before you, our secret sins in the light of your presence. For all our days pass away under your wrath. We bring our years to an end like a sigh. The years of our life are 70 or even by reason of strength 80, yet their span is but toil and trouble. They are soon gone and we fly away. Who considers the power of your anger and, and your wrath according to the fear of you? you know, there's a lot of words in that section. There, there's a lot of images that for us, we're kind of going, wait, wait, what does all of that mean? God, angry, bully? I mean, what's it really saying about him? In the original hearers' minds, man, things came to their mind immediately. They, they had these images and they thought, know exactly what you're talking about, Moses. The phrase, our years are swept away like a flood. It was very common in the wilderness where they were wondering that it would get very dry for a season, the dry season, and man, things were arid and brown everywhere. And then suddenly out of nowhere, one of these huge storms, big flood would come up and it would fill the riverbanks and in a matter of seconds, things that were there, whoosh, just washed away. He's saying, that's the way your life is. It looks like everything's stable and everything's secure and boom, in a matter of seconds, a flash flood, it's all gone. He says, you're like, your life is like grass that's renewed in the morning and it fades and withers. Again, for the original here, they knew the beautiful mountainsides and the, the countryside that they would see at times in Israel that, that were brilliantly green when the sun would come up in the morning. But after a brutal hot day, some of that grass would just wither and brown up. Just in a matter of hours, it would be gone. Again, Moses is saying, that's you. You're here right now, you're gone. No doubt James, years later, is thinking of that picture when he talks about our life being a vapor, how quickly it vanishes. The images of God's wrath and his anger that we read in those verses. You know, those words can be troubling, but, it, but it's not anger like you and I often think of anger. It's not reactionary. It's not out of control. God isn't being a bully. Rather, it's an anger and wrath connected to God's justice and his holiness. And those Israelites immediately understood. They knew that when they had left Egypt, that some of them had sinned in such a way that God said, you will live under my wrath. You will never see the promised land. Now, scholars tell us that over half of them died in the wilderness. I mean, it's really this tragic picture we're reading, but it's not because God is all ticked off. It's because God is saying, you violated my commands. And when you do that, there's a consequence to pay. You think about what's going on. Two million people, scholars think about a million of them died in the wilderness. If you do a million, divide it by 40 years and then by 365 days, that's about 70 funerals a day is what they're saying. I mean, they were really aware that, man, this life is short. My neighbor died, oh, my other neighbor died. I mean, it's just like, this is what's going on. We are aware that this life, it goes quickly. Y'all, let's be honest for a second. This little middle part of Psalm 90, kind of depressing and discouraging. You know, you heard the words, didn't you? Life goes fast, it's a vapor, everything goes soon. And then before you know it, you end your years with a big old sigh. And if you get all 80 years, they're just toil and trouble. Doesn't this sound exciting? You know, it's just that place of like, really, this is what life is like? Moses isn't trying to paint an ugly picture. He's just saying, can you look at the reality that this life goes quickly? If those first four verses are summarized by, by that old hymn, God is our eternal home, these verses could be summarized by the Kenny Chesney song, life goes faster than you think, don't blink. I mean, it's just going quick. Whether you want to believe it or not, it goes so fast. Uh, two years ago in April, uh, my dad uh, called me and said, man, I'm having trouble breathing. And this was common. We'd, we'd have to go to the hospital and he'd get an IV. He was congestive heart failure patient. And for a 90-year-old with congestive heart failure, y'all, he was in awesome shape. 
A month earlier, we'd celebrate his 90th birthday. And so I go over, we go to the hospital. And y'all, we were in the emergency room for about six hours where they kind of got some of his levels back under control. And in those six hours, three different times, a nurse would come in and go, are you guys okay? And they weren't worried about his health. It was just so loud because he and I were in there either singing or laughing and just being foolish. And it was, it was just this awesome night. About 6.30, they released us. We got in the car and we were driving back to his, the place he was living. He was living in one of these uh, unassisted senior living homes, or, or as I call them, adult frat houses. I mean, man, they're, they're terrifying. Um, <laughs> I don't wanna know what goes on, to be honest. But anyway, uh, that's not the point of Psalm 90. But, um, but as, we, as we were driving back, Dad said, hey, let's get something to eat. And, and for dad, you know, a hamburger was about as good as it got. And my dad has a real high palate. So we stopped at Wendy's and, and we get his double cheeseburger with bacon, of course. Uh, wonder why I had heart problems. Uh, we get his French fries, we get his Sprite and we drive to the house and I go in, I sit down in the room with him for a little bit and we're talking and again, continuing to laugh. It's just a delightful time together. And, and um, I get up to leave. I said, I'll see you tomorrow. I'll check in on you, make sure you're doing okay. The next morning, as fate would have it, we had to act on something that happened the previous day and we had to put our 11-year-old boxer down. So I go to the vet early that morning. Man, that surprised me how hard that was to say goodbye to a dog. And I get back home and like a few minutes later, the phone rings and it's the guy from, from where dad's living. He said, hey, Jeff, um, can you come over to the home? I wanna talk to you about your dad. And I said, yeah, sure, what's going on? He said, could you just get here quickly? And I thought, this isn't good news. And I drove over there and I pulled up and I saw an ambulance and two police cars. And I thought, oh, this is not good news. And I thought, well, maybe, maybe something, I don't know, we'll see. And I go walking in, I walk right past him. I go back to dad's room and I do, there's two police officers in there and they're kind of protecting me, don't want me to go around the corner. And I inappropriately shoved one of them and walked around the corner and I looked into the restroom and in the middle of the night, my dad had gotten up to go to the restroom, taken a fall and it was tragic, he was gone. And I remember just looking and, and you know, my eyes filled with tears. I'm standing there, I'm looking. And then the next thing I know, I took two steps back and I fell in his little bed and, and I'm just crying. And I'm thinking, oh my goodness, I can't believe this. And out loud, I just say, no, dad, no, not this way. No, not now, not now. And y'all, within a matter of seconds, I found myself sitting up on the bed and looking in at him. And then I couldn't help but just kind of chuckle a little bit. Not at his death, but at the reality of the truth he was living into in that moment. My dad, who had been an old worship leader in his former life, if I've heard him sing it once, I've heard him sing these words a thousand times, this world is not my home, I'm just a passing through. My treasures are laid up somewhere beyond the blue. Y'all, those may not be good lyrics, but they're incredible theology. In that my dad had lived his life knowing this life is temporary. This is not all there is. When his wife died and we moved him over here to East Tennessee, from East Tennessee, uh, I remember going to his house that was just filled with furniture and stuff. And he said, leave it all. I said, what? Dad, there's stuff here we need to go through. Leave it all. We don't need to bring you this. I'm not gonna need it. See, my dad had some sense of an understanding and a very simple mind that says, this world, all the stuff I have is nothing compared to something bigger than this. And that's exactly where Moses is going to lead us in this psalm. He's gonna take us from saying, remember, God is our eternal home. He's bigger than you can imagine. He's all that you need to, hey, your life, it's short. Outside of God, it's meaningless. It goes by fast. It's a vapor and then it's gone. And then in verse 12 of Psalm 90, he says, so here's how we respond. We have these two different timeless truths. Truth, God, you're our eternal home and life goes faster than you think. Verse 12 and following. Moses, as if he turns his heart to another volume of prayer, prays out loud, so teach us. So teach us to number our days that we may get a heart of wisdom. Return, O Lord, how long? Have pity on your servants. 
Satisfy us in the morning with your steadfast love that we may rejoice and be glad all of our days. Make us glad for as many days as you have afflicted us, for all the hard days we've had, may we have as many years, even though we've seen evil, may we have that much joy. Let your work be shown to your servants and your glorious power to their children. Let the favor of the Lord our God be upon us and establish the work of our hands. Yes, establish the work of our hands. You're probably the most familiar verse in all of Psalm 90 is in there, verse 12. So teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Y'all, that's a great prayer to pray. I submit to you, that's how my dad lived his life. Numbering his days, I don't know how many I have, but, but I want to use everyone full. And when my time comes, it's going to be okay. You know, that's what the idea of numbering our days has. It has this idea of saying, look, pay attention to what's going on every day. Don't let a day just pass by. You know how, quick, how quickly we can let a day pass by and be so busy that we lay down in bed at the end of the day and go, whew, thank goodness that's over. That's not the idea Moses has. Moses is saying, slow down, really consider, contemplate your days. Know that every day needs to be numbered in such a way that you live with this anticipation that something better is coming. I think of that when I look at my son Jacob and his wife Gracie Hope right now. They're the ones that are expecting a baby any day. The due date technically is next week, uh, June 29th. And, and, and yet, over the last week or so, my son Jacob, he, he's been kind of numbering every day really well. Y'all, if you're Enneagram people, Jacob's a six. And so, so six know how to think of every possibility that might happen and prepare for it. So Jacob's been living like this, like on Sunday of the last week. Hey, Dad, today might be the day because it's a full moon. And sometimes full moons induce labor. And I'm going, yeah, bud, possibly. And then on, on the next day, he's like, hey, Dad, you know what? Gracie Hope slept a lot today. And sometimes when women sleep a lot, it means they're about to go into labor. I said, dude, you're like an OB, man. This is good. And, and the next day, it was like, hey, Dad, Gracie Hope, she didn't sleep much today and she got sick. I think that's a sign. We probably go into labor day. I said, yep. Yeah. I mean, y'all, every day this week. I haven't talked to him yet this morning, but I guarantee you there's something. It's just been, he's numbering the days. It's about to happen. I love that. I love that. Oh, I would to God that I lived every day of my life with this anticipation. Like, wow, God, what are you going to be doing today? Something great's coming. I need to be locked and loaded on today and aware of everything going on around me. That's Moses' idea. Number your days. Be ridiculously locked into God. What are you up to right now? Because the Psalm tells us when we do that, when we number our days, God goes, watch this. I'm going to grow a heart of wisdom in you. I'm going to grow a heart of wisdom in you that leads you to satisfaction. He ends that Psalm with those words that you will be satisfied with his everlasting, never ending, great, faithful love. See, Moses has walked us through these truths that I think are so helpful for us. The truth of how God sees time everlasting and eternal. And the truth of how our time goes by faster than you think. It goes by so quickly. And then he invites us in these last section to live our lives with wisdom. Scholar N.T. Wright summarizes Moses' prayer with these words. He says, make us to be people who know how to stand at the threshold of human time and God's time. And there may we learn both humility and hope. Our time is not worthless, but any worth it may possess comes from God's goodness, not our control of our circumstances. Wow. That which is good in my life, which God wants my life to be good, that which matters in my life, which God wants my life to matter, that which is going to make an impact for my life and God wants my life to have an impact, it's not because of me. 
It's because I live between this gap of going, my life is short and fragile. God is eternal and everlasting. How will I live by numbering each day with wisdom? Put more simply, Andy Stanley said it this way. We are to live as if our life has a point and we are not it. Think about that. We're to live our life going, man, there's a huge big point to my life and it's not me. Y'all, my last days at fellowship taught me that point really powerfully. You know, I'd served here for 11 years, had the opportunity to just be used by God in some ways and also to be challenged by God in a lot of ways. And as I got to the end of my time here, things started changing and I found myself feeling the sense that it was time to leave. And, and some of it was I realized, gosh, I don't fit here like I used to. And not a bad thing, just kind of how life works sometimes. But it was during that time that there would be days I would go in this deep pity party like, well, what's wrong with me? Why can't I do this? Why not this? Why not me? And you ever done that before? Is it just me, right? You know, we know how to get in that ugly place where we just spiral. But it was this Psalm that would bring my bearings back to me. This passage, this Psalm 90, was one of the last sermons I ever preached at Fellowship. And that's why I wanted to come back to it. I wanted to come back to it because it's so true in my life. When I've been able to remember, God, you are my dwelling place. Not this place, great place, but not this place. Not my house, but you are God. And when I begin to realize my life is gonna go by fast and without you, God, without your guidance, without your wisdom, my life will be meaningless. But oh God, when I live with open hands, when I live going, I don't understand why you're doing what you're doing, I think sometimes God says, watch me work. And I can look back nine years ago now and I go, man, God was being so generous and so gracious and so kind to me and to this church in the transition that happened. See, I was living at times like my life had a point and I was the point. God has made it clear that that's not how we live our lives. See, Psalm 90 reminds us of those three simple truths. God is our eternal home. Y'all, I don't know what life has for you today and where you're living. I don't, I don't know what you're counting on that's gonna give you fulfillment, but Moses would scream at the top of this lungs, this, his lungs this morning. Y'all, if you're counting on anything outside of God being the firm foundation for your life, you're misplaced. He tells us that, that life goes by quickly. It's fast and fragile. Oh, what a reminder for all of us. The things that we keep putting off, you know, I'll mend that relationship tomorrow. I'll deal with that situation later. Maybe God's word for you this morning is going, hey, hang on. What if I acknowledge this life goes by quickly? Let me deal with something today. And finally, our days, they're so valuable. And especially when we live them in light of God's wisdom, we have the opportunity to make eternal impact. Back in the old days at Fellowship, when I first came here, we would end every sermon the same way. The guy would preach, he'd say amen. Then the host would come back up. Another guy would come up and he'd say, they would just say, so I wanna ask you a question right now. It's the same question every week. Some of you know it. So what? Two words, so what? In light of the truth you've heard from God's word this morning, in light of this passage that we've considered, so what? What is God telling you? How is he prompting you right now? How is he inviting you to take a step? And y'all, we would literally take time and we'd write down our so what, we called them. On the bottom notes, it would say so what? And we'd just write down going, this week I need to. Maybe that's the application for some of us today. Before we walk out the door, we get busy visiting, which is awesome with our friends. Maybe we need to go, God, this week, because of what Moses has said in Psalm 90, I want to blank. See, what does Psalm 90 mean for you practically today? In the midst of your day-to-day -day life, Rob Sweet kicked this series off a couple of weeks ago. I went online, I listened to the first message and I'm quoting Rob. Rob said this, the Psalms are prayers that teach us how to relate with God. 
and to speak to God with wholeheartedness about our lives, thoughts, choices, desires, and emotions. There's those four words that's new fellowship words, right? Thoughts, choices, desires, and emotions. Those things all together create the wholehearted disciple. You know, sometimes when we relate to God wholeheartedly with full hearts, there's excitement and joy and energy moving forward. But can we be honest this morning? Sometimes when we relate to God wholeheartedly, we do it with broken hearts, with fears, with pains, with sorrows. And in this room, y'all, we got both ends of that and everything in between. Like Moses, we've all walked journeys that like in the wanderings in the wilderness, they've been marked by sorrow and sin and pain and disappointment by abandonment, loss, hurt, confusion. And it's in those moments that we need to have something that recalibrates us. Something that brings us back to what is eternally true. And y'all, I think that's the gift of Psalm 90. That in the midst of change, in the midst of transition, in the midst of life not working, Moses shows up in God's word in Psalm 90 and says, hey, there's a better way. There's a more perspective I wanna remind you of. Where does that play out in your life in this season? You know, maybe it's a career path that you're in the middle of or some changes going on there. Maybe it's something relational. Maybe it's in your marriage with a best friend, with, with a parent, with a child. Maybe there's something going on in, in a financial area or health concerns. Wherever it may be, can I remind you that Psalm 90 brings us back to I think some most foundational truth as believers. We have to constantly be kind of doing a little pulse check and saying, hey, am I living into this or not? Uh, this wholehearted living, this thoughts, choices, desires, and emotions. Y'all, Psalm 90 nails it. Moses invites us to think, about, to think about the greatness of God, our home, our dwelling place, to feel the reality of our hopelessness apart from him, to grow the desire of our hearts by living with wise hearts, and to choose daily to live open-handedly, to live believing that he will establish the work of our hands. You know, it's a wholehearted psalm in fellowship language. And I encourage you this week to take some time to be reminded of these very, very simple and profound truths. God is our eternal home. This life goes by quickly. And as long as we're alive, there's such purpose for us to live into. You know, the truest confession we could make this morning is that for many of us, and I would point here before I'd point to any of you, we can get on a certain treadmill and live as if we have unlimited time, can't we? We can live as if I'll get around to that later. We can live as if that's not that important. We can live with the priorities that are so upside down. I sure can. Psalm 90 recalibrates. Psalm 90 says, don't forget these things. Don't forget the reality of this life. Maybe one of the best illustrations of, of this life that we are living comes from a story that I've told before, but it, it always moves my heart because it reminds me of how we live every day really, really matters. Lewis Smedes was a um, godly author, a seminary professor, a teacher, and he died in the early 2000s from a fall off of a ladder while taking down his Christmas lights of all things. His family would find these words in a journal. I just wanna share these words with you. He's writing, he says, I bought a brand new date book yesterday, the kind I use every year, spiral bound, black imitation leather covers wrapped around pages and pages of blank boxes representing each day. Every box has a number to tell me which day of the month I'm at at that moment. Every square is a frame for one episode of my life. Before I'm through with the book, I will fill the squares with the classes I teach, people with whom I eat lunch, everlasting committee meetings I sit through, and these are only the things I can't afford to forget. I will also fill the squares with things I do not write down, but I remember. Thousands of cups of coffee, 
some praying, time with my wife, and I hope acts of help to my neighbors. Whatever I do, it has to fit inside of one of those squares on my date book. I live one square at a time. The four lines that make up the box are are the walls of time that organize my life. Each box has an invisible door that leads to the next square. And as if by silent stroke, the door opens and I'm pulled through as if by magnet, sucked into the next square in line. And there I will once again fill the time frame that seals me, fills it with my busyness, just as I did the square the day before. As I get older, the squares seem to get smaller. One day, I will walk into a square that has no door. There will be no mysterious opening and no walking into an adjoining square. One of those squares will be terminal. I do not know which square it will be. It's true for all of us. Scripture tells us it's appointed for each of us a day when we die. That's not morbid. To me, it's inspirational. I only have one life. I only have limited days. How do I live it in a way that honors God? How do I live it in a way acknowledging he is my firm foundation? How do I live it in a way inviting his wisdom to overflow me that the work that I do may have an everlasting, eternal impact? In the next few days, this little grandbaby is gonna come into the world, a little girl. And as I hold her and get to look at her and fight with my in-laws over who gets to hold her the first, you know, There will be moments when I'm just gonna go, oh God, would you please let me do something that leaves a healthy legacy in this little girl's heart? That's Psalm 90 living. Where in your life today, this day, do you need to live in such a way that you respond to this invitation from Moses, seeing God, your eternal home, and living, numbering your days that you may gain wisdom? Would you pray with me? Father, I'm grateful that you make our lives purposeful because of what you have done for us in Christ Jesus. I'm thankful, Lord, that that we can live our lives numbering our days and believe that something, someone bigger is always at work. Father, our lives, they, they may go by quickly, just like Moses says, but when we live our lives anchored to you, O great God, as our foundation then we live in such a space that we honor you and we encourage those around us. So Father, my prayer is simple for this place called Fellowship this morning. I pray it for me and I pray it for everyone here. Would you teach us to slow down? May we number our days. May we gain hearts of wisdom. May we delight in your steadfast love. Father, may may we realize that in this life, in moments when it feels like we're losing heart, when when it feels like that things aren't going the way we thought, that God, those are the moments that you're working for our eternal glory. So let us be courageous this week. May we open our hearts in a new way to you as you lead and guide for your glory and our good. Amen.